Stride for Sight, Sponsored Walk. London Branch are organising a sponsored walk and picnic for their main fundraising event this year on Sunday the 20th of June 2004, 10.30am to 4pm. We will be taking a leisurely stroll around Regent's Park, one of the beautiful royal parks in central London, followed by a picnic in the park. There will also be a longer route for those keen walkers amongst us that takes in part of Primrose Hill as well. Everyone is welcome, and those attending the BRPS AGM on Saturday the 19th of June may like to make a weekend of it and join us on the Sunday for the walk and or picnic. Our aim is to raise as much money as possible through sponsorship of the walk. Full details and sponsor forms will be posted on the websites www.brps.org.uk or www.brps.org.uk forward slash London or you can obtain information by email to london at brps.org.uk or by telephoning Celeste Lovis on 01895 251265. Refresh, recharge, revitalise. An introduction to complementary therapies by Marianne Mansfield. October the 1st, 2004 in Cambridge. The workshops are designed for visually impaired people to experience an introduction to complementary therapies. They will offer a hands-on approach to learn the basic techniques and to experience taster sessions. All the practitioners are qualified and highly experienced to a high professional standard. We will be exploring the basics of Hatha Yoga, Alexander Technique, Aromatherapy, Indian Head and Shiatsu Massage. Participants strictly limited to 10 people. The price includes all refreshments and lunch for the two days. Price at £82. Central location, easy parking and accommodation nearby. For more information, contact Marion Mansfield, Creative Innovations, 50 Cavendish Avenue, Cambridge, CB1 7UT or telephone 01223-243699. A Challenge to All Ladies by Jonathan Abro. On Sunday the 5th of September 2004, the Flora Light Challenge for Women 2004 takes place in London and Birmingham. We are calling on all ladies, young and old, to run, walk, stroll or crawl in aid of the BRPS. It is not a long-distance marathon, just five kilometres or three miles. And by joining Team BRPS, not only will you have a fun day out, but you will also be raising money for a very worthy cause. If you have a place in this year's Floralite Challenge for Women, sign up to Team BRPS now so that we can send you a fundraising pack with the necessary info and your Team BRPS T-shirt and balloon. If you have not yet entered do so now and sign up to Team BRPS. You can sign up online on the official Flora Light Challenge website at www.floralightchallenge.co.uk or call any of the Team BRPS organisers or visit the events pages of the BRPS website www.brps.co.uk .org.uk for more information. For London, either phone or email Jonathan Abro on 020 
7723-9937 or email webmaster at brps.org.uk or phone Claudia Finlay on 020-7262-0429. For Birmingham, phone Rita Nichols on 01902-738-193. More information will appear on the event pages of the main BRPS website, as well as the events pages of the London www.brps.org.uk forward slash London and Midlands branch websites, that's www.brps.org.uk forward slash Midlands. Everyone is welcome, so ask all your friends and family to join in and help us make this a huge success. Blue light warning. With the summer almost here, it is worth a brief reminder about the need to block out UV and blue light. Many members benefit from using blue block spectacle filters, like those from Mediview, who will be demonstrating these lenses once again at our AGM. Unlike regular sunglasses, which simply make everything too dark, These work by filtering out all the UV and blue light, but letting the rest of the light through. Wearers report that the glare is eliminated and contrast significantly increased. The eye protection they give exceeds that recommended by Retina International, and with that, people find adaptation when moving from sun to shade is much faster. We have heard recently that Mediview will soon have available slip-in protectors to fit behind glasses in addition to its usual range. This means that even those with high-power lenses, cataract type, can benefit without the risk of scratched lenses, which the overfitting type can cause. Hopefully, they may be available in time for our AGM. These lenses are only available direct from Mediview, but many of our members speak well of the thoughtful and understanding service provided by Ian Pizer. For more information, call Ian or Nikki Pizer on 020-8933-7914. Email info at mediviewspecs.co.uk or visit www.mediviewspecs.co.uk Branch News Cambridge Branch, Marion Mansfield Our first fundraising event for 2004 was our biannual jumble sale, a well-supported event and all over in a morning. We raised a modest £167, but every little helps. Our mammoth fundraiser is the Thriplo Daffodil Weekend in March. This event usually attracts thousands of people and we were fortunate this year to have a prime location for our bric-a-brac, books, jewellery and Connie's card stalls. Alan and Wendy Chamley also organised a tumbola. Although a bit chilly, we attracted a continuous queue of customers, spending money and raised a mega £1,600. Thanks to Clive and Dan Fisher for opening their front garden and converting it to a -a bric-a-brac and tombola emporium. At the time of writing, we are looking forward to meeting members in Peterborough in April and report news and progress in the next newsletter. 
Our garden party this year is scheduled for Sunday the 18th of July at the home of Anne and Clive Fisher. What would we do without them? 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, Cambridge. We are sorry to report the deaths of two of our staunchest and much-loved supporters, Diane Bradshaw and Duncan Briley. They will be very much missed. Happy fundraising and profiling RP and enjoy the summer. Hampshire Branch, Steve Harris. We are now in the middle of our street collection season and have important collections coming up at Winchester on the 3rd of July, Fleet on the 17th of July and Romsey on the 25th of September. It would be great to have plenty of can shakers out at these venues, so we would like to appeal to any collectors and potential collectors to please make contact with Michael on 023 8073 2141 or Paul on 023 8025 3424. We have been very fortunate to have been donated a laptop computer which has been adapted so that it can be used by people with any degree of visual impairment. We are prepared to loan this computer to any of our members who are considering getting one of their own. Please contact Chung on 01962 626157 if you would like to know more. Our 25th annual general meeting takes place in Winchester on the 16th of October and we are planning a very special day. We hope to see many of our own members at this meeting but if you would like to visit from outside Hampshire then you would be made very welcome please phone Adrienne or Steve on 023-8047-6894 for details. Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire branch, John Westwood. This is our first newsletter in 2004, so we must go back to the beginning of the year to start the good news. The St Albans Street Collection raised £847 and our bric-a-brac stall on the market made a further £295. Founder members Don and Joe Oates sent us their usual donation in lieu of Christmas presents and cards, £160 this time. Kate Fortnum's Weekenders Clothes Parties have already brought in £450 this year. Masonic Lodges continue to be kind to us. £200 each came from Faith and Honour and Pry Wood. Ted Wilson, husband of a Wellin Garden City member, passed away in January. In memory of Ted, family and friends donated £470 to BRPS. Our thanks and sympathy go to his widow and family. On the social side, all branch members were invited to afternoon tea at the Luton home of Ken and Marion Purdy. It was a very pleasant occasion, which gave branch officers a chance to get together with our considerable number of Luton and Dunstable members. The next meeting will be our AGM at the Wayside Centre, Potter's Bar, on the 26th of June at 2.30pm. Please come, especially if you are willing to reduce the average age of your committee. Our next street collections are at Harpenden on the 10th of July and Hitchin on the 21st of August. If you are too nervous to hold a tin, just turn up and say hello to one of our collectors. They're always pleased to hear from you. Our annual pub lunch and walk will again be in the pretty village of Ashwell. We meet on Sunday the 5th of September at noon in the Three Tons. See the entry on the Good Pub Guide. Please book with Jeff Fortnum on 01442 258 134. We look forward to meeting you. 
Norfolk branch, Victor Rowe. We have come out of hibernation to let you know that our branch, small though it is, continues to function. At our post-Christmas lunch in January, there were 18 sufferers and helpers, when a very pleasant time was had by all. We were able to congratulate David and Sue, who have announced their engagement. David has RP and is a widower, while Sue is a widow, and we are pleased for them both. We look forward to hearing about the wedding to take place later this year. Miriam is expecting towards the end of the year, and we are all wishing her well. Our AGM was arranged somewhat later than usual, and will take place on the 1st of May in our local Phoenix Hotel, where a room has been made available and a light buffet. On July the 10th, Ted, our chairman, he prefers coordinator, and his wife Gwen will host a barbecue at their home, always a very enjoyable occasion, whatever the weather. On July the 17th, there will be a collection at Budgeons in Holt, ably arranged by David and his friends. This is an excellent fundraiser which David has arranged for many years. In the autumn, we shall probably have our pub lunch, where we enjoy fellowship. More about that soon. Ian, our treasurer, has been on a retraining course and hopes to market the items in a very attractive grained wood that he is presently making. From donations, collections and events, we have been able to send a few thousand pounds to headquarters for research in recent years. Whenever possible, our small number of doers will raise funds as well as provide opportunities for sufferers and helpers to meet for fellowship and to talk over matters of mutual interest. We are always pleased for any RP sufferers in Norfolk to make contact with us. Jean Rowe, 01362 694271 or Pat Crawford on 01953 483 442 or Ted Booty on 01362 692510. Northeast Branch, Dr Mike Newton. Our branch has not been particularly active in this branch news column, but that does not mean we are not there and active. At our February meeting, we were extremely fortunate to have Professor Shomi Bhattacharya and Dr Reshma Patel to talk to us about their recent research into treatments for RP. Everyone was fascinated by their work and very optimistic that a possible treatment may be on the horizon. The speakers received a warm welcome and thanks by the 40 members who were able to attend. There were also a good number of high-quality questions from members and we were pleased that our speakers responded so well and comprehensively with their answers. The branch has now been operational for 13 years and Professor Bhattacharya was present at the formation of the branch. At that time, he was a researcher in Newcastle. Since the formation of the branch, we have raised a total of £51,000 for the research fund, a figure which delighted us all. One of our members in particular, Kath Beatty, has been particularly active over all the years and has reached her own target of raising £1,000 a year for the branch through her various fundraising activities. She reached the grand total of £10,000 in 2003, a truly fantastic achievement. Well done, Kath and please keep up your fantastic work. Some of the branch were also able to take part in the Great North Walk in 2003. The 10-mile walk had been cancelled for two years because of foot and mouth. Close to £500 was raised from the walk towards the research fund. Our next meetings for the year are on the 22nd of May, 21st of August 
and 20th of November. Anyone in the area is welcome to attend and we meet in Brunswick Methodist Church in Newcastle with a buffet from 12.30 and a meeting start at 1pm. The chapel is just off the main shopping street, Northumberland Street, in Newcastle, so is centrally located for access via public transport. Oxford and District Branch, Margot Edmonds. Many apologies for having missed several editions of Fighting Blindness. Our small branch has plenty of enthusiasm. We have continued fundraising at superstores, which seems to be a good way of raising steady income, even if it does not hit big amounts. We are tantalised by the report of the Hampshire branch of money collected at Longstock Water Gardens. We must put our thinking caps on. On the social front, we had much pleasure last autumn with an outing to the London Eye. We used one of Oxfordshire's coach companies, so we did not have to worry about the financial need to fill our own coach. The staff at the Eye looked after us very well, ensuring that we had a pod to ourselves and even stopping the eye to make it easier to enter. In the summer, for the first time, we succeeded in finding a pub with a skittle alley at a manageable price. It was much enjoyed and impressive skills emerged. This year we may repeat it, or perhaps test our skills further in a real bowling alley. We know that there are BRPS members in our area who do not belong to the branch. Please do join us to help raise funds to the benefit of everyone, and to have fun and companionship. If you would like to find out more about what we do, please phone me on 01865 248 753. Somerset Branch. Mike Phillips. The final meeting of 2003 took place on the 22nd of November. The guest speaker was Jean Howell, who works for the National Blind Children's Society as an advocate. Jean, who was a teacher of blind children for many years, gave members an informative and interesting talk about her advocacy work for the charity. She highlighted the funding problems for schools and the subsequent inadequate provision of service to blind and partially sighted children. For those members who arrived early for the meeting, we were able to see the closing minutes of the Rugby World Cup. All the English fans were absolutely delighted even our Irish-born member seemed pleased for us. The branch AGM took place on the 6th of March 2004 at Dorothy's home. The branch was able to send £6,000 for research funds last year. The branch has now raised over £50,000 since its formation due to the dedicated hard work of our stalwarts. Well done, all of you. The branch committee was re-elected to serve for another year. Some of the committee are getting on in years and would like our younger members to take a more active role in branch affairs. After both of these two meetings, members enjoyed an excellent lunch provided by Dorothy and her team of ladies, for which we are all grateful. Various events and collections have been arranged, so please contact Dorothy for details. Telephone number 01823 283 237. Yorkshire Branch, Mary Horsey. Hopefully you're reading this in sunny, warm weather, as it is not very pleasant as I am writing this letter at the beginning of April. We had a successful AGM on the 3rd of April when Professor Bhattacharya and Dr Reshna Patel were our speakers. Dr Patel spoke of her work in genetics, followed by Professor Bhattacharya speaking about their future research work. Questions and answers were helpful and stimulating and certainly would have continued if there had been more time. 
Our thanks are to Professor Bhattacharya and Dr Patel for our most informative and enlightening talk. Our stride for site walk for this year was discussed, and it was decided to arrange to walk on Bridlington Seafront, a return walk of approximately 3.5 miles, on Saturday the 25th of September. If the, the authorities will not allow it, we will arrange for the Humber Bridge again. I was concerned that the walk will again be at the extreme east of the county, making long journeys for people from the west, but hopefully you will still support your branch. Bridlington could make an enjoyable venue for a weekend break in September. The branch needs your support. Let's try to raise an even greater amount than the £4,600 of last year's walk. This should be an ideal venue for spreading awareness of RP and, of course, raising funds for further research. For sponsor forms, please ring David Stevens on 01482 856040. Other fundraising events for this year are as follows. A new event, Rocky's Yorkshire Rose Charity Ride, Cowboys on Horseback. Events between Friday evening the 4th of June and Sunday the 6th of June. Events at different sites in the Penistone area. Telephone 01226 767 315 or 0114-2469-384 for further information. Collections at which help is needed. August the 7th, Morrison Supermarket, Holderness Road, Hull. August the 20th, Morrison Supermarket, Beverly, near Hull. Telephone David Stevens for details on 01482-856-040. September the 11th at Morrison's Enterprise 5, Bradford. Telephone Jean and Ron Moulds for details on 01274 678 499. June the 11th, Friday, Chesterfield Market. August the 28th, Sainsbury's Supermarket, Chesterfield. Telephone Mary Horsey for details on 01246 569924. Thanks to those who will already have participated in collections. Letters from Margaret Walmsley Crewe. I'm wondering how many readers know that blind people can claim an extra £1,510 in extra tax allowance. I'm quite aware that a lot of people don't need this allowance because of very low income, but there must be some of you who could use it to cut down your tax bill. To claim it, you must tell your local tax office and produce proof of blindness to them by means of a card that you were given by your local social services when you were first registered blind. You must renew your claim every year, otherwise you will lose it. From Cindy Peacock, London. I have the recessive form of RP. I was diagnosed when I was nine and I am now 29, but it was not until the last four years that the disease really affected my life. As I have the recessive type, nobody else in my family is affected, even though my family is very large. At times I feel very misunderstood and mentally alone. I do not feel miserable, just different. I lead a very busy life, as I am married with two young children and one on the way, but would love to hear from anybody who has RP and would love a chat, especially if you can relate to any of the above. Contact numbers 020-8595-9509 or 07790-264815. Reminder. The Retina International Conference is to be held this year in Holland in the seaside town of Nordwijk. 
which is a two-day conference on Friday 2nd and Saturday 3rd July. This is a chance for people from the UK to attend a Retina International Conference that is so close to home, just across the water in fact. It is hoped that there will be a good turnout of members who will hear talks from some of the world's leading research workers. A meeting of the Retina Europe Youth Group will take place during the event. Details of the conference and booking arrangements are posted on the Retina Nederland website, which is www.retinanederland.org. The cheapest way to get there is possibly by using one of the budget airlines. I have heard prices as low as £65 return quoted. Why not make a week of it and take a look around the area? Programme for the AGM. 10.30am onwards. Reception in the conference lobby. 10.30am to 12.30pm. Information desks, exhibition stands in the Turner Suite. Talks by exhibitors. Times to be displayed on the day in the Booker Suite. 12.45 to 1.30pm. Lunch in the conference lobby. 1.30pm to 2.15pm, business session in the Booker Suite, to include minutes of the 27th AGM, trustees and treasurer's report, election to three management committee posts, RP Youth, and then questions. 2.15 to 3pm, welfare session in the Booker Suite. The guest speaker is David Feast, Action for Blind People. And then questions. 3pm to 3.30pm. Coffee break in the conference lobby. 3.30 to 5.15pm. Research and medical presentation in the Booker Suite. This is chaired by Professor John Marshall and the guest speaker is Professor Robin Ali. And then questions. 5.15pm. A prize draw in the Booker Suite, followed by light refreshments in the conference lobby. 5.30pm, youth group meeting in the Turner Suite. The agenda to be confirmed. How to reach the hotel by car. M40, A40 to Marylebone Road, go to Euston Road, right opposite Euston Station to Upper Woburn Street, second left to Coram Street, Hotel on the right. M1A41, go to Regent's Park, right on Marylebone Road, go to Euston Road, right opposite Euston Station to Upper Woburn Street, second left to Coram Street, Hotel on the right. How to reach the hotel by public transport. From King's Cross Station, take the underground on Piccadilly Line to Russell Square. Walk across the zebra crossing outside the tube station and down Marchmont Street. Hotel is 300 metres on the left. Next newsletter. Items for inclusion in the next newsletter, Autumn 2004, must be with the editor by the 10th of July 2004. Editor's address, Mr S. D. Higgins, 54 Paddock Road, Newbury, Berkshire, RG14, 7 DG. And that brings to a conclusion the Summer 2004 Newsletter.
RP Fighting Blindness, number 111, summer 2004. The newsletter of the British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society. Your readers are Lorna Matthewman, Jerry Rust, Paul Netherton, and Jeff Strutt. In this issue, editorial, secretary's notes, AGM 2004, getting to know you, research news, welfare notes, Meet the Scientist Day, audio description on TV, 80 Years, Stride for Sight, A Challenge to Ladies, Blue Light Warning, Branch News, Letters, AGM Programme. British Retinitis Pigmentosa Society, Registered Charity Number 271729. The Honorary Secretary is Mrs Linda Cantor, MBE, BRPS, PO Box 350, Buckingham, MK18 1GZ. Telephone 01280 821 334 for office inquiries. Email info at brps.org.uk. The website is www.brps.org.uk. The welfare manager is Mrs Anne Fisher, 4 Middle Street, Thriplow, near Royston, Hearts, SG87RD. Telephone number 01763 208 045. The helpline number is... 0845-123-2354 Membership subscriptions. The single membership is £10. Subscriptions which are due on the 1st of January should be made out to BRPS and sent to the Secretary at BRPS PO Box 350 Buckingham MK18 1GZ any donations above the £10 subscription will be most welcome and received with grateful thanks. Braille copies. Please contact the office if you need your newsletter in Braille. Whilst every effort is made to ensure the accuracy of all information printed, it is not always possible to check details on articles submitted, and whilst information shown to be inaccurate will be corrected, the Society cannot accept responsibility for errors. Editorial by Selwyn Higgins We have often asked ourselves why it is that other disabling conditions seem better known to the public than RP. There are several possible answers, one being the relatively small number of people affected by RP compared to, say, cancer. Another possibility is that the public at large see people with white sticks as suffering from a condition they recognise as blindness, in the same way that they see cancer or heart disease. They do not tend to differentiate between the many types of cancer or heart disease when making charitable donations. However, if we are to obtain greater public support or the much-needed government funding for our work, we need to overcome this problem and get ourselves and our specific cause of blindness well known. We have one asset that many of the other charities do not have. We are a member society. We have around 3,000 members and this is the strength on which we need to capitalise. This issue of fighting blindness carries an article by Murray Portlock on the ways in which every one of us can help to make RP better known.
When we are out on the streets for an event such as a collection, our yellow tins and tabards explain well what we are about, but we need to make a lasting impression that will make the disease better known. Our members have a reputation for ingenious fundraising ideas. If you have any good ideas for raising our profile that are affordable by a society of our size, do write in and I will see that your letter reaches the appropriate person. I hope to see many of you at the AGM, which this year is in London. Have a very pleasant summer. Selwyn Higgins Error. I really must apologise to Mary Woodruff for printing her name in the last issue as Linda Woodruff. Sorry, Mary. Secretary's Notes by Linda Cantor At the time of writing, springtime is just arriving, which brings you to think of new beginnings. Many changes take place within the society over the years, and we have another one here in the office. Yvonne Leonard, who has been with us for nine years, is retiring at the end of April. Many of you will have spoken to Yvonne on the telephone or will have met her at the AGM and realised what a very cheerful and helpful person she is. We will miss her very much and her ability to make us laugh. We'll be joined by Vivian Eldridge in May and I am sure you will all wish me to join in welcoming Vivian to the society. Talk of retirement has been in the air and I am reminded that we are all getting older. However much the spirit is willing, sometimes the flesh feels weak. Many of us who have served in various capacities within the society over the years are looking to the next generation for help and support. Us oldies have done the basic work and we are so close to our goal. I hope there are people out there who will be willing to come forward and give us a hand. I am certain there are those within our membership who have hidden talents. If anybody feels able to help us in any way, from fundraising to becoming a branch officer or perhaps serving on our management committee in the future, we would like to hear from you. Professor Peter Humphreys gave the third Dr Jesse Mole lecture at Oxford on, 5th, on the 5th of April and we would like to thank him for delivering such an excellent profile of his work. I look forward to meeting you at the AGM. AGM 2004 by Alan Foster The Venue This year we return to London in June. Our 28th annual general meeting will be held on Saturday 19th of June at the Holiday Inn Bloomsbury. As mentioned in the Spring Newsletter, this Holiday Inn is a different one to the 2002 venue at King's Cross, but I hope you'll find it just as convenient. The Holiday Inn Bloomsbury is in Coram Street, and the closest mainline stations are Euston, St Pancras and King's Cross. A copy of the hotel's location map is available from the office. As with other London venues, the hotel is well served by public transport. The walk from Russell Square Station on the Piccadilly Line is about five minutes, and from any of the three mainline stations mentioned above, about 15 minutes. There is an NCP car park beneath the hotel, which is not too expensive on Saturdays, and we are trying to arrange a discount for BRPS members. The accommodation for us is well lit, air-conditioned and all on the ground floor, and should be very comfortable. Guide dogs are allowed in the hotel and water bowls will be provided. There is a small open area immediately outside the hotel for dog walking and leg stretching and a larger park a few minutes walk away. If you intend to stay overnight at the hotel, the best discounted rates are available if booked through the internet at www.holiday-in.com and follow the on-screen instructions. Please make sure you book at the Bloomsbury Holiday Inn. 
there are several holiday inns in London and all can be accessed through this website. Morning Stands and Exhibition Once again, Orange have generously agreed to sponsor the meeting. Although it may not have a stand this year, Orange continues to develop its helpful range of products and services. In addition, as usual during the morning, there will be a number of exhibition stands manned by experts who should be able to provide all the information you need. This year, in the Turner Suite, which adjoins the main meeting room, we hope to have stands for CVIP, Time and Systems, Mediview, Choice Technology and Training, Portset Systems and Action for Blind People. There will also be the usual information desks for the Society itself in the foyer and for the sale of greetings cards. Some of the exhibitors have asked to give short talks and demonstrations as well as manning their stands. These have proved popular in the past as well as providing a chance to put up our feet for a few minutes and will be held during the morning. A timetable for these will be posted at the hotel on the day and on the stands of the exhibitors who intend to give talks but they will probably be between 11am and 12.30pm in the Booker Suite, where the main meeting is to take place in the afternoon. Catering. As people arrive, there will be tea and coffee, juice and biscuits. During the lunch break, the hotel will provide and sell pre-packed sandwiches for £5, but only to those who have ordered them. If you would like sandwiches to be prepared for you, please let us know by sending in your completed questionnaire, included with the spring newsletter. There will also be tea, coffee, juice and biscuits during the mid-afternoon break and at the end of proceedings at about 5.30pm. Afternoon session. The session kicks off with the business session, with medical and welfare sessions following. The business session will include elections to three management committee posts namely fundraising, publications and branch affairs. The managers elected to each of these posts will serve a three-year term. The welfare session will be chaired by Anne Fisher, whose guest speaker will be David Feast from Action for Blind People. The medical session, which follows a short break, will be chaired by Professor John Marshall and his guest speaker will be Professor Robin Alley, from the Institute of Ophthalmology. Colin and Linda MacArthur's annual prize draw will take place in the main Booker Suite immediately after the AGM ends, so please make sure you stay in the main hall for a few minutes to check whether you are a prize winner. Also, Chloe Scapelhorn, our youth representative, is hoping to have a short meeting of a youth group immediately after the prize draw. Chloe will be mentioning this during her talk in the afternoon. Getting to Know You by Mireille Portlock I wonder why the general public does not seem to know much, if anything at all, about RP. We know that it is an inherited disease of the retina, causing sight deterioration and blindness, affecting around 25,000 families in the UK, that there is a huge amount of research and that at last hope is on the horizon. What can we do to raise our profile? to get people to know more about retinitis pigmentosa. It is not easy to buttonhole people and force them to listen, but we can encourage them to ask questions. When advertising events in the local media, 
We can ask the media to add a few lines of information about RP and BRPS. How about talking to groups of pupils in your local schools or offering to take an assembly? Would your place of worship be willing to allocate one of their charity collections to BRPS if you gave a short talk? Are there local organisations you would feel able to address? The office has a large number of car stickers, which might arouse curiosity in car parks, or traffic jams when you have time to discover a lot about other drivers from the display in their rear window. There are about 3,000 members in BRPS. If each of us could do something to publicise RP, it would make a great difference. We are entering an exciting period in the fight against RP. We need more funding for research, more support, but we shall only succeed if we are known. If you have any ideas, please let me know and I'll pass them on. Murray Portlock, 01572 823225. Research news. We have reached a point where a critical push forward is needed in RP research. For the past few years, there has been rapid progress that has led to the present situation. You will recall that the research effort falls into three main phases. Namely, one, locate the genes responsible for the many forms of RP. Two, investigate the biochemistry associated with the fault they produce. And three, devise means of delivering corrective treatments. We are now at a stage where many of the genes are known. To be more precise, we know most of the genes for X-linked RP. A high proportion of those causing autosomal dominant, but as yet a smaller proportion of those causing recessive RP. In many cases, the biochemistry associated with these genes and their products is understood, and delivery systems for corrective genetic materials have been developed. We are now looking seriously at treatment strategies. The treatment strategies currently being pursued are 1. the use of growth factors, 2. gene replacement therapy, 3. cell transplantation, 4. pharmacological approaches, 5. artificial retina devices, and 6. longer term, the use of cells grown from stem cells. Of these, the first two are the nearest to clinical trials, and a phase 1 clinical trial of ciliary neurotrophic factor therapy treatment began in the autumn of 2003. The big push now must be to prepare the ground for more clinical trials. There are several obstacles to be cleared, but perhaps the one that concerns us most is that the genetic mutation causing the RP must be known for all patients entering the treatment trial. This is essential for gene therapy, but will also be a prerequisite for all treatment trials. In order to be ready for treatment trials, we would need to have established a large pool of patients whose precise gene type is known, who had undergone a standardised clinical phenotyping. The problem that we now face is how to achieve this. For any results to be used clinically, they must have been produced in an NHS laboratory or have been confirmed by the NHS. Our task now is to push for the establishment of screening centres at several locations around the country and to persuade the government that we are ready to make effective use of them. We are nearing the point where we can put to use the results of 25 years of persistent hard work and I will let you know as soon as a clear and confirmed way ahead emerges. Prince's Greeting Cards by Pauline Clayton 
We are very pleased to announce that in the period of 21st of June to Christmas 2003, we sold enough cards to enable us to send £310.60 to BRPS. A big thank you to all for your interest. We are considering offering these cards as A4 size prints using top quality pigment ink on archival paper. All proceeds raised would go to the BRPS fund. A sheet of six new card designs to be offered will be prepared shortly. All these designs are of tried and tested old favourites which have sold well. Welfare notes, Anne Fisher. The cost to a visually impaired person for someone to accompany them on a holiday has meant that sometimes they haven't been able to afford to take that needed break. A bursary scheme recently agreed with the Respite Association, National Carers Association and St Anne's of 26-28 Harold Road, Clacton-on-Sea enables a carer or friend accompanying a blind or partially sighted person to pay no costs for accommodation and food. The only costs incurred might be travel from home to Clacton-on-Sea. For further information and inquiries in strictest confidence, please contact Kylie Moorhouse, manager, on 01255 420595. If your income is too high to get income support, you may be able to get help with the cost of your glasses under the Low Income Scheme. If you qualify for this, you get help with NHS costs, including glasses and sight tests. The extent of any help available is based on a comparison between your weekly income and your assessed requirements. The assessment is broadly based on the income support calculation and determines how much you should contribute towards your health costs. You must not have capital over £8,000 if you are under 60 or £12,000 for those aged 60 and over. A partner's income and capital is also taken into account if applicable. If your income is equal to or less than your requirements, you will be entitled to full help with NHS charges and get a certificate HC2. If your income is more than your requirements, you may be entitled to limited help with NHS charges, but not with prescriptions and will get a certificate HC3, which shows how much you are expected to contribute to your health costs. The Health Benefits Division, which administers the Low Income Scheme, is undertaking a pilot for telephone claims to the scheme. Claimants can contact the service on 0845 850 1166. A form will be completed for customers over the phone, and they will be sent a copy to sign. The Health Benefits Division is also looking at making information available in accessible formats, so you should request information in your preferred communication format. Please note that if you need glasses with complex lenses, you can get a voucher towards the cost. This is given regardless of your income or benefit entitlement. Ask your optician or optometrist whether or not you need them. Blind Art is a company established to promote blind and partially sighted visual artists. They are looking for visually impaired artists to participate in various shows and exhibitions. Contact Blind Art Limited, 22 Cadogan Place, London, SW1X9SA. Telephone 020-7245-9977. Email info at blindart.net. The Guide Dogs for the Blind Association have launched a further campaign to raise awareness about the dangers to visually impaired people of street obstacles. This is an ongoing initiative getting the message across to retailers, local authorities, individuals and members of Parliament about the problems caused by street obstacles. 
They have drawn attention to the Highways Act of 1980 and highlighted that the legislation is in place. By making use of this, many of these street obstacles can be removed, therefore creating a much better environment for visually impaired people. All public walkways are being targeted as these are often littered with obstacles. They have created an A to Z guide of street obstacles and this has been sent to all members of Parliament and local highway authorities highlighting the problem. The idea is to make people aware of the problems that street obstacles cause vi visually impaired people. For a copy of the A to Z Street Guide to Street Obstacles, which is free of charge, call 0118-983-8281. A new electronic cane, developed by Sound Foresight Limited, aims to revolutionise the way vis visually impaired people move around. The cane was inspired by the way bats navigate and uses ultrasonic echoes that covers the area in front and uniquely to the head height of the user at the same time. Through two vibrating buttons, the cane gives feedback on where and how far away an object is. The cane will be available from April. To find out more, visit www.soundforesight.co.uk or call 01925 if you would like to discuss your favourite read with like-minded people, a new internet book group is available. Called Book Talk, the service is offered by the National Library for the Blind. Anyone who has internet access is welcome to join in. Book Talk is just like a book group online. You can talk to people via email and discuss books that you are interested in reading. At present there are about 50 members, but the numbers are growing. There are between 150 and 200 conversations taking place each month. People are talking about the reading they do using the NLB Braille books, as well as reading from talking book services and even public libraries. To join Book Talk, call Linda Corrigan on 0161 355 2000 or email inquiries at nlbuk.org. If you are having trouble with infuriating cold callers trying to sell you something, you can register with TPS, that is, the Telephone Preference Service. They will put a stop to cold callers. The service is free of charge. Telephone 020-7291-3320. Meet the Scientist Day by Selwyn Higgins. When agreeing terms for the current research from the Community Fund, I agreed to a certain programme for dissemination of information through talks to branches, etc. We agreed that in the second year of the project, I would arrange a day on which members of BRPS could visit the laboratory in which Professor Bhattacharya and Dr Patel work. I have now agreed with Professor Bhattacharya outline details for this visit. As the laboratories are cramped, for safety reasons, we have to limit the numbers to 12. The visit will take place on a working day when others are working in the laboratory, so it is planned that between 2pm and 4pm there will be two tours of six people each time, similar to visits in the RAIN laboratory. A provisional date has been set of 18th of May 2005. Travel expenses for the day are covered in the project budget, and we are hoping that the 12 will be selected as just one person from a branch. As we have far more branches than places, inclusion will have to be on a first-come basis. If your branch would like to send a member, will that branch please let me know, but it will have to be the first 12 that I receive. 
You can contact me, Selwyn Higgins, on 01635 34862. Audio description on TV. In the spring newsletter, I printed a letter from Amanda Moody inquiring about audio description on TV programmes. I have received information from several sources and the following response from Stephen King of RNIB is written in the form of a letter to Mrs Moody. I am really glad your daughter enjoyed the audio-described Rugrats. There are a lot more audio-described programmes for her to enjoy on video, DVD, TV and in the cinema. RNIB has been working very hard for over 10 years to get films on TV audio-described and at last people are beginning to enjoy the fruits. As you've discovered, Sky now audio-describes some of their programmes, but only when received by satellite, as do five. You can get information on accessing this from the special customer service line on 08705 663333. The Freeview service carries audio-described programmes from BBC, ITV and Channels 4 and 5. About 6% of the programmes are described. You need an audio-described set top box for these, available from NetGem, the NetGem iPlayer AD, on 0800 015 3092, price £125, including postage and packing. Unfortunately, neither of the UK cable operators, NTL and Telewest, provide audio description, but will have to at some point in the future under the terms of the Communications Act 2003. Audio-described videos are available to rent or buy from RNIB. You will also discover that many DVDs carry an audio-described track too. Unfortunately, it is a matter of looking hard for the audio-described logo on the packaging, wording such as Audio Descriptive English. Then hunt around in the options in the usual DVD retail outlets. A full list of RNIB videos and current DVDs is detailed in RNIB's home video catalogue, available free from RNIB Customer Services on 0845 702 3153. Several cinemas have equipment for relaying the audio description of major feature films. Recent examples include Lord of the Rings and Finding Nemo. And more venues will be available by the end of the year. If you would like more information on cinema availability, please contact RNIB's Broadcasting and Talking Images team on 020 7391 2398. I have also discovered from Michael Downer information on the NetGemi player mentioned in Mr King's letter. It allows you to receive up to 20 digital radio channels and 30 television channels. It has internet and email access built in and can be accessed by new software through your telephone line. The audio description volume can be controlled independently of the program volume or it can be switched off completely. When changing channels, the NetGem tells you which channel you are changing to. Healthy, totally blind volunteers required. Men and women aged 18 to 75 years for study investigating the effects of caffeine on sleep-wake patterns and circadian rhythms in the visually impaired. The study will be completed in your own home. Payment offered in compensation for time and inconvenience. Please contact Dr Stephen Lockley 
80 Years by Stuart Cameron Way back in the past, I got a request to give you a write-up on how did I cope growing up with RP. At that time, not too well, hence the long delay. I became 80 years old this year. I first heard about RP in 1974 from a student doing a thesis on the subject at Stirling University. The account that follows is a diary of events in my life since I was 14. My first attempt at the Merchant Navy failed due to eyesight. I was told there was an astigmatism, which meant nought to me then. Being Pisces, I suppose, gave me a strong affinity to the sea, boats and fishes. I can remember when, as a group of eight lads, we hired a boat to go deep sea fishing. Everyone caught loads of fish, except me, not one. On another occasion, when trout fishing, my friends were doing well with five caught. Me, not one, until at lunchtime, I baited my hook, stuck the rod in the bank and went for lunch. When I came back, there was a fish on the end. Never did I find out if my friends put it there. My time as a drawing office apprentice was cut short because of sight problems, glare from the paper, etc. 1945, my first government medical, when I became hostilities only, volunteer for the Navy. Past A1, no mention of RP. Noticed a sight problem during rifle target practice, but no one seemed interested. 1951, west coast of Africa, contracted black water fever, hospitalised. 1952, New Zealand, Wellington. Rotten Jacob's ladder on ship broke, throwing me 40 feet into lifeboat. Broken ankle, hospital again, invalid out of the Merchant Navy. 1954, bought a 50-year-old yawl, raced it around the west coast, winning a few pots. I then sailed it to Norway and back, winning the Coates Cut in 1955. Very unhappy driving at night to service TV sets, though I still had no idea why. 1958 to 1964. Once every couple of months driving between Glasgow, Plymouth and Portsmouth overnight, I still had that uneasing feeling of between the hours of darkness. Now I have nightmares just thinking about it. How I never killed myself or anybody else I shall never understand. To date, no great problems have shown up with the eyes while working on electronics. My health up till now was reasonably OK, apart from a limp of the right leg, a legacy from the incident in New Zealand. Eyes seemed OK apart from unease in the dark. Never had an inkling that I was suffering from night blindness. 1959 built a 25-foot virtue-class sloop in Perth and sailed it to Dumbarton, sailing, cruising and winning races with the Clyde Cruising Club. 1966, picked to join the Polaris Fast Lane team. Ministry of Defence Medical for the team at Bath, passed OK. No mention of retinitis pigmentosa then either. While in the USA, I was selected to do night shift work as against day work to help out, but again this uneasy feeling that I could just not put my finger on. 1968, while during the big handover between the USA and ourselves accepting Polaris, a fellow worker stabbed me in the right eye with a hooked oscilloscope probe. From then on, my problems just seemed to get worse. 
I was off work for ten days while the Glasgow Eye Hospital stitched up the eye. In retrospect, I understand the Glasgow Eye Hospital diagnosed retinitis pigmentosa right away on first seeing me, although they never mentioned it to me at the time. It appears this was their policy then. By this time, I was starting to miss defective components of the modules. Even bought new glasses to see if that was the problem. Advised management, but they were not interested, even when I applied for a change of work. I found that after the industrial accident, I had double vision and soldering components was very difficult indeed. Of course, all of these problems I was having, I put down to the accident, not knowing about RP until some five years later. I became known as Apache for the next 25 years because of the black eye patch I wore. During a court case following a road accident was my first introduction to Usher's syndrome, though I did not know it then. Whether it was the acoustics of the courtroom I don't know, but I found that I was having to ask for many repeats of questions put to me, and towards the end, 5.30pm, I was just answering anything in order to get the ordeal over. By now we had managed to acquire a local doctor to whom I mentioned my problems. He noted that I was as tight as a drum and appeared to be constantly under tension and stress. His suggestion was a long holiday, even a sea cruise. My wife and I discussed the situation long and hard. It was a real catch-22 situation. The MOD would not give me another job, as I was the only trained person in the country who could do it, and it would take some time to retrain somebody else to take over. My wife and I decided that after 15 mainly enjoyable early years with the MOD, I must leave. There had been times when I did not claim pay or even expenses. I enjoyed the work so very much. I had no choice but to pack in the job and do what the doctor had suggested earlier, go for that long sea voyage. This is what we did, selling the house, yacht, furniture etc., but keeping back the Triumph estate car to take out to New Zealand to visit our best man and his family. 1969, we toured the North and South Islands of New Zealand. I worked in a couple of jobs for a short periods to help defray the costs and feeling much better health-wise without the pressures. After 11 months, we decided to return to the UK. The MOD gave me a choice, my old job back at Faslane or a job at Rosyth Dockyard at a lower grade. We went for the lower grade job thinking the pressure would be less. During this period, I gashed my leg on a bit of equipment that was sticking out into the passageway. Anyone with normal sight could have avoided it easily. In 1972, I did a course at Portsmouth, but during 1971-72, my problems reappeared and were being checked out as a possible brain tumour by Edinburgh Hospitals. One test was done by Dr J.F. Cullen at the Eye Pavilion, Edinburgh, who mentioned retinitis pigmentosa, and was excited enough to take a series of colour photos. It still did not mean a thing to me, as he did not elaborate on it, apart from the fact I was not suffering from any sort of brain tumour. I was still having long spells off work with a decided shortness of breath when walking any distance at all. 1971. Founded the Dalgetty Bay Sailing Club, and was their first Commodore. It is now the premier club on the East Coast also managed to get the Fife planners interested in getting into action on starting the Fife Coastal Path. It is now doing very well with tourists and locals, and one day I hope will cover from Newborough to the Fourth Bridge. In 1973, January I think, had a letter and a visit from a Stirling University student who was doing a thesis on retinitis pigmentosa. 
as he also had the problem. This got me interested at last, and I started to do some research on my own. Looking back, I could see how it had affected my lifestyle. Discussing it with Rosyth Medics, a change of jobs was proposed which turned out to be an estimator. This did not prove to be of great help, perhaps because I hated the job and my mind was not with it. In the end, I retired on ill health grounds from that occupation. Looking over this, I can see it might be classed as a classic more or less standard RP programme covering my 80 years. 1979 gave up driving a car and returned my driving licence in case I was tempted to use it in the future, as it was too dangerous. 1983 sat the radio amateur licence examination for Class A, resulting in the call sign of Golf Mike 4 Uniform Tango Papa. Oh, the most recent, proving to the science pundits that the sun's eclipse has in its footpath an improved effect on radio propagation. This is the end of side one.